Worthy are you, Jesus. Worthy are you, Jesus. Praise you, God. Yes, we give you the Worthy praise, are you, Lord, Lord. God. Yes, yes Lord. Lord God. Thank you, Jesus. Worthy are you, Lord. Oh, hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Give you glory and honor and praise this morning. There is no one like you, Jesus. Praise you, God, hallelujah. Worthy of our lives, Lord. Worthy of living praise. Worthy of a sacrifice of praise. God, even in those moments when we don't understand what's going on around us, we give you, we give you our highest praise, Lord. Worthy are you, Jesus. Praise you, God. Yes, Lord. Worthy are you, Jesus. You're our hope. You're our life. Hallelujah. There is no one like you. No one like you, Lord. Worthy of, God, the, the honor and the worship of our lives. Worthy of our obedience. Thank you, Lord. We give you the highest praise. We give you the highest praise. We give you the highest praise. Jesus, our Savior, you are worthy of. One more time. Oh, you give you the highest praise. We give you the highest praise. We give you the highest praise. Jesus, our Savior. You are worthy of it all. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Praise you, God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Praise you, God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Jesus, come be enthroned on the praises of your people this morning. You are so welcome here. King of kings and Lord of lords, we honor your presence. Jesus. There's no one like you, Jesus. Hallelujah. There's no one like you. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Lord, we hunger and we thirst for you. We need you, Jesus. We need you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Folks, don't be, don't be afraid of, of just leaning into his presence this morning. Praise you, Jesus. Just lean into his presence. Yes, Jesus. Come, Holy Spirit, have your way in us. Praise you, God. Yes, Lord God. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Just let a, let a cry of praise, let a cry of prayer rise up from your heart right now. It's okay. It's all right. It's all right if it gets a little noisy in here for a moment. We're just lifting praise up the name of Jesus, worshiping him, honoring his presence. Thank you, Lord. It's worth taking a moment just to, to rest in this place. Come, Holy Spirit. Jesus. 
Just sense this morning, maybe it's someone in this room, maybe it's someone watching online. I just sense that there was there's someone this morning who just who you actually voiced. I don't know if I can do this anymore. I don't know if I can do this anymore. I want to encourage you to lean into Jesus. Lean into his presence. Grab a hold of him. Because nothing else around you that you're grasping at or trying to find stability in or peace in is going to satisfy. Grab a hold of Jesus once again. Maybe, maybe you're tired of trying again, but I encourage you, grab a hold of Jesus by faith once again. Say, Jesus, I don't understand all this. I don't know what's going on in my world or my life. But I need you. I grab a hold of you by faith. Because I've been told that you are the true anchor and and I, I need an anchor in my life today. He's worthy of it all this morning. Thank you, Jesus. Father, we just thank you for your presence in this room. I trust by faith that those who are watching online are experiencing a taste of your presence in their, in their rooms today as well. God, we don't need dusty, dry religion. We need Jesus. We need you. We lean into your presence today. Because in you is fullness of joy. In you is peace. In you is hope. So Jesus, come fill our lives in a fresh way today. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Folks, let's sing it one more time. We give you the highest praise. We give you the highest praise. We give you the highest praise. Jesus, our Savior, you're worthy of it all. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Everyone who believes that, lift up a shout, amen. 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 God is good. Good, good, good. Well, you may be seated this morning. Wow, wow, wow. Wow, wow, wow. I'm trapped. There we go. A little later this morning, before we leave, we're going to celebrate communion together. And uh, I don't know if I'm going to do it justice, but uh, just in the in the prayer room this morning, Don shared something uh, with us. Just that uh, I just feel like it's worth worth hearing at least through my faulty attempt to uh, to capture it but um, that uh, to be encouraged because we are not evangel bathurst we are not alone in this journey but our lives and our faith and our walk with Jesus are joined with Billions of people around the world who love Jesus, who are pursuing Him, that are lifting up their voices on this Lord's Day today. And and as we not only worship Him 
which is, which is a high calling, which is vital. But as we, as we live for Him, as we serve Him, as, we're, as we walk in obedience, as we, as we work and pray towards the establishing of His kingdom on earth as it is in heaven, we don't do it alone. Amen? Did I kind of capture it, Don? Good. Thank you. Good. We don't do it alone. And uh, God is good. God is good. All right. So, uh, continue our, our series this morning. Um, if you can switch me over, Weston, that'd be great. <clears throat> Thank you. Awesome. Good job. Um, we've been talking about uh, beauty for ashes, talking about um, finding resurrection hope in challenging seasons. And I'm not going to re-preach the, last, the first two messages in this series. Uh, you can check them out online if you, if you miss them. Um, but I... I as we, as we, as we le- lean into this and lead forward this morning, I, I want to introduce you this morning to, to a guy who is one of the authors of Scripture, and yet you may have never heard of him, or, or maybe just in passing. You might have maybe read his name at the top of some of the Psalms and said, and, and said oh, I don't know who this guy is, but uh, okay, Asaph. But uh, I want to introduce you to Asaph this morning. Asaph was a Levite, which means that uh, he was a spiritual leader in his community. But we know, we know some more things about Asaph. He was, he was a prophet. The Bible calls him a seer. A seer. A particular kind of prophet, a seer. He had visions from God and occasionally, probably, according to the meaning of seer, probably even met God face to face on occasion. We know that, that Asaph was a poet and a songwriter. There are 12 psalms that have his name on them in the Bible. We know he was an excellent musician. His his instrument of choice was the cymbals. Right? Seems kind of silly for an excellent musician. He just liked making noise, right? He, he He was a real rocker. Right? Like making noise. He was an excellent musician, but his, he, he, he played cymbals, but he was also the director of the National Worship Band. It's one thing to play cymbals, but it's another to play cymbals while you're directing a large worship band and making sure everybody plays what they need to play and you're also playing the cymbals. That takes skill, Right? He wrote music, he directed music. We also know that Asaph trained future generations of worship leaders and musicians. There are those in the Old Testament that are referred to as the sons of Asaph. Now it's it's possible that these were his physical offspring who carried on their ancestors' musical calling, but more likely, um, they were probably students at a school of music that was started by Asaph for the purpose of training worship leaders for generations to come. Asaph was appointed by King David and his son, King Solomon, to lead the worship that took place before the Lord in the tabernacle and later in the time of Solomon in the temple. 
And it was Asaph's responsibility to make sure that there was a continuous song of worship going up before God's presence. It's important to have this picture of Asaph in our minds um, and, and understand the responsibility he carried spiritually as we consider some of the things that he has to say. And frankly, the challenges that he faced in his life. So if you have Bibles or Bible apps, turn with me to Psalm 73 this morning. Psalm 73. We're going to read this in in chunks as we go through the message this morning. And in verse 1 of Psalm 73, Asaph starts out pretty good. He starts out well in this, uh, in, in this worship song that he's written, right? Um, he says in verse 1, Surely God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. That's beautiful, isn't it? Surely God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. It it sounds like he knows what he's supposed to say. But in the very next verse, things go downhill quickly. Okay? In verse 2, we find that the top worship leader in the nation and the one who spends all of his days at work writing worship songs and leading a worship band and singing before the presence of God in the temple is having a crisis of faith. Let me stop right here for a moment because some of you have been thinking that there was something wrong with you when you have gone through seasons of a crisis of faith. When, when fear and doubt crept in and you just weren't sure how to still believe the way that you, that you have or the way that you did because there's so many questions. And what you were experiencing in the world around you and in your life didn't seem to add up to what you were being told about God. Surely God is good to Israel and to those who are pure in heart. You thought you were the only one. But here's the worship pastor of Israel having a meltdown and writing into a worship song his experience of a crisis of faith. You need to know that having A faith crisis on your journey is a normal part of having faith. Crises are a significant opportunity for growth. And you're not bad or weird or broken because of a crisis of faith. You're normal. But notice that he starts this song with an anchor point. I don't understand much else that I'm seeing around me, but surely God is good to Israel and to those who are pure in heart. Right? Verse 2 says, But as for me, my feet had almost slipped. I had nearly lost my foothold. Everything I thought I understood, everything I thought I knew about God and the world seems to be pulled out, the rug seems to be pulled out from under me and I don't understand what's going on right now. You ever feel like that? Right? But as for me, my feet had almost slipped. I had nearly lost my foothold. 
But what was the cause of this crisis for Asaph? Well, it's, it's this big question. If God is good, why isn't the universe fair? If God is good, why isn't the universe fair? Verses 3 to 14 say this, For I envied the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. They have no struggles. Their bodies are healthy and strong. They're free from common human burdens. They're not plagued by human ills. Therefore, pride is their necklace. They clothe themselves with violence. From their callous hearts comes iniquity. Their evil imaginations have no limits. They scoff and speak with malice. With arrogance they threaten oppression. Their mouths lay claim to heaven and their tongues take possession of the earth. Therefore, their people turn to them and drink up waters in abundance. They say, how would God know? Does the Most High know anything? This is what the wicked are like. Always free of care, they go on amassing wealth. Surely in vain I have kept my heart pure and washed my hands in innocence. I think as humans we have we have an an innate an in in um, an internal sense of of fairness. It's uh, it's interesting to watch they 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 left us so they're not in the room. I can talk about them. Um. Andrew, Scott and Andrew, are, uh, they went downstairs. Um, but it, it's interesting to watch our twin grandsons learning about the world around them. And they definitely know when their brother was given something that they were not. Right? No question. They understand what's going on. Or that, or that their brother has had a turn with their favorite toy, and, and they haven't, my turn, my turn, Andrew's turn, Scott's turn. That's, that's, that's some of the language that they use right now, right? They, they understand when they've not had a turn. Um, and, and they also sometimes look out for the other one. If one of them has been given two of something, he'll, he'll often automatically share one of the two things that he was given with his brother. That's kind of cute, right? In fact, uh, Friday, two days ago, Liam and I were out playing with the boys in the yard, and, uh, and they were both pulling, they each had these little, just little tiny wagons they were pulling around, and, and Scott found a ball and put it in his wagon, but he knew there were somewhere in the yard, there are two balls, Right? So, so, so he starts saying, Andrew's ball. Andrew's ball. And we had to search the whole yard until we find the other ball so that his brother could also have a ball in, in his wagon. Right? We found it. All was well in the world. But they're two years old and no one had to teach them about fairness. Isn't that interesting? Right? Something inside of us remembers an echo of how the world is meant to be. Something inside of us knows that the world has gone wrong. There's something deeply wrong in our world when injustice and, ino- and, and inequality plays itself out in our culture and in the cultures around the world. 
right? It's just, it, watch the news and it just, it's heartbreaking. Why is it heartbreaking? Because we know it's not right. Because we know that that ought not to be. Asaph has been watching the people around him. He's watched some people use other people to become wealthy and then use their wealth to oppress the people that are poor. Right? And, and this is grating on his soul. God, if you're good, if you're good, why is this happening? Why is this world unfair? These people, you know, seem to be out of reach of the legal system. They seem to be untouchable. They get away with everything. And yet he himself and others are doing what God has told them to do and seem to be experiencing hardship and difficulty. And he finishes off this section that we read by saying, Surely in vain I've kept my heart pure, and washed my hands in innocence. His heart cry is, God, it's not fair. You've felt like that sometimes. I know you have. Right? God, it's not fair. Like our two-year-old grandsons, We tend to be more alert to injustice when it affects us, (laughs) right? The problem is, also like those two-year-olds, we tend to have a poor perspective on justice when we're the ones being affected, right? We tend to be oversensitive to injustices against ourselves, and undersensitive to, justi- to injustices that affect others. Is that fair to say? Now, Jesus' kingdom is a kingdom of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit, right? It is a kingdom of righteousness, and the The biblical word for righteousness in both the Old Testament and the New, in Hebrew and in Greek, the term for righteousness in the Bible is very closely tied to justice. Jesus' kingdom is a kingdom of justice, of righteousness. Everything that is twisted and wrong in this world, Jesus' kingdom comes to make right. Right? And and His kingdom is at work now, doing that work, but there is coming a day when Jesus will return and everything will be made right. Right? We know that. But there is a calling on our lives as people, as I said earlier, who are meant to pray and work towards the establishing of Jesus' kingdom on earth as it is in heaven, that it is part of our job to work towards righteousness and justice. Oftentimes the church, and maybe particularly the evangelical church, has forgotten that that's part of our job. To work towards righteousness and justice in the world. But Jesus was also a king who lived his life on earth not in self-promotion, but in self-emptying love. Sometimes we can become so fixated on injustices to me that we don't even see injustices to others. But we're called to empty ourselves like Jesus did and love others to the point of seeing their lives bettered and changed. Here's a hint. Remember, remember Scott and Andrew, right? 
when, when one of them didn't get something that their brother did get, and they have a meltdown and scream and freak out and throw a tantrum, is very different than when Scott walks around the yard saying, Andrew's ball, Andrew's ball, Andrew's ball. One sense of injustice is a lot cuter than the other. Does that make sense? Right? It looks a lot better on us when we are fighting for someone else's justice and rights than it does when we're fighting for our own. It's a lot more honorable. It's a lot less self-serving to fight for justice for someone else. Why do we expect the universe to be fair? As I referred to earlier, there's enough of the original design of the, of the world imprinted on our hearts as imagers of God. Enough of the fact that we were made to be imagers of His goodness and His righteousness that we know what is right even sometimes while we're doing the opposite, right? We know what is right. We know what is fair. But the world has been spoiled and poisoned by sin, by selfishness and by greed. And it's awaiting a day when it will be set right again. Right? Romans 8, starting in verse 19, puts it this way. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in order that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. We know that the whole creation, Paul says, has been growing as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we also, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for, the, for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. Right? All of creation is groaning under the weight of injustice and wrongness, poison and brokenness of sin. But the groaning is because we know there's more. We know there's better. We know Jesus is coming. Right? But as we wait... Here's, a, here's another question. Do we really want fair? Do we really want what we deserve? Do we really want what we deserve? As sinful, selfish humanity, we are stained with sin and cut off from the life of God, and without Christ, we are without hope and without God in the world. And what we deserve, pre-Christ, what we deserve, in all honesty, what we deserve is hell. What we deserve is separation from God forever, right? It's what we deserve. Do we want what we deserve, right? Thanks be to God that He was not okay with us getting what we deserve and that He is a God of mercy and love and grace. Thanks be to God He came into this world 
in the person of Jesus Christ and gave himself up for us so that a door could be opened for us to re-enter the kingdom of God and the family of God. Thanks be to God that because of Jesus we have access to the love of God. Mercy says we don't get what we deserve. Grace says we get what we don't deserve. Say that again. Mercy says we don't get what we deserve. Grace says we get what we don't deserve. And God's mercy and grace are at work in our lives. Do we really want to live in a fair universe or do we want to live in a universe filled with the opportunity for mercy and grace? So an author named Gerald Stitzer wrote a book called A Grace disguised. It's a great book. If you've walked through grief recently, I encourage you to look up this book, A Grace Disguised by Gerald Stitzer. And Gerald, the, the book is, is based on his, his life experience. Gerald Stitzer, in one evening, lost his mother his wife, and his daughter because a drunk driver crossed the yellow line and there was a head-on collision and he lost three of the women in his life at once. Devastating loss and pain. And, a, and this book, a, Gr- a Grace Disguised, is Gerald Stitzer's Uh, working through that experience in his faith. And uh, and Gerald said, it's not fair that his mother, his wife, and his daughter were killed by a drunk driver. But he says, it's not fair that he enjoyed their presence in his life either. not fair that he had the years that he had where they filled his life with joy, with laughter. And given the choice, he said, of a fair universe or a universe of grace, I will choose a universe of grace where I get what I don't deserve. It's not fair how Jesus, the Son of God, was treated by humanity. He came in love. He came with a message of hope, a message of God's kingdom. And because of pride and jealousy and insecurity, the people who should have embraced him and his message plotted his murder, right? It's not fair that he was handed over to the Romans to be tortured and brutally executed. It's not fair that my sin and guilt was heaped on him in that moment and he bore the weight of it on the cross. It's not fair that his goodness, my sin was put on him and his goodness was put on me. It's not fair. It's not fair that he was condemned and I was set free. 
It's not fair that if we repent and turn from sin and turn towards Jesus, that everything we've ever done against God is gone. And that we are given the opportunity for a brand new life. We're adopted as sons and, God, sons and daughters of the Most High. It's not fair. It's not fair that the, in that moment we are forgiven for all of the ways we have wounded all of the people in our lives through our selfishness. It's not fair. But it's the amazing grace of God isn't it? Let's look for a moment at some of the lessons that Asaph learned as he worked through his crisis of faith. And folks, the key is not to avoid ever having a crisis of faith, but it's how we work through it. Right? First of all, I would say that Asaph learned to be careful how we process our struggles publicly. In verse 15, he says, If I had spoken out like that, all the things he's just said, I would have betrayed your children. Right? So, I mean, he did say it because he wrote it in a song, but he said it after he'd worked himself through to the place of, of faith once again. Right? And, and we need to be careful about processing our crisis of faith with people who are vulnerable. Right? There's a lot of talk these days in the evangelical world about people deconstructing their faith. And, and that's fair. People are working through their, their, their faith challenges, their faith crises. They're working through it. But we've got people who have been major evangelical leaders, pastors, teachers, uh, authors, people, and, and, and they're publicly deconstructing their faith and there are all kinds of people who, have, who are watching this happen that, that are being uh, very, you know, they're, they're, they're little lambs. They're, they're, they're children in the faith that are being damaged and hurt because somebody is not being humble about the way that they're processing their crisis of faith. And, and Asaph, I think, shows incredible humility. That he's willing to grapple with his crisis in private. And I'm not saying you have to do this on your own. There are people who can come alongside, people who are mature believers and I think there, there is a place for processing your crisis of faith and community with people who love you and, and you trust, right? Absolutely. But just we need to be careful about how we're, how we're processing our crisis of faith with those who are vulnerable. I think, I think uh, he learned that our, our hope is found not not in some logical system of religious understanding, but it's found in the very presence of God. Folks, I'm a teacher. I love to teach. I love the Word. I love unpacking deep truths of the Word. But if it's just about information, I might as well pack up and go home. Because our hope is not found in, in just deeper understanding. It's found in the presence of Jesus. It's found in Him. Asaph says in verse 16, when I, when I tried to understand 
all of this. It troubled me deeply until I entered the sanctuary of God. And then I understood their final destiny. Folks, we need a revelation from God. If you're struggling with faith, I'm, I'm, not, there, I'm not saying don't look for logical answers to your questions. I think there are some, some great answers to a lot of questions. But more importantly, ask God to show Himself to you. Until I entered the sanctuary of God and then I understood. He learned that the apparent advantage of the world is momentary. Verse 18, surely you place them on slippery ground, you cast them down to ruin. How suddenly they are destroyed, completely swept away. They are like a dream when one wakes. When you arise, Lord, you will despise them as fantasies. You look at the we look at the people around us or we look at the rich and famous or we look at those who are cutthroats in business and they get ahead. Whatever situation it is you want to you you talk about. And yeah, they might win for a while. But it is for a moment, for a breath, and they will stand before God. Right? Let's personalize it, because maybe that's us in some ways, where we're using other people to our advantage. And it might be working for you now, but it's momentary, and there will come a day very quickly when we all stand in the presence of Jesus and give an account for our lives. And the apparent advantage of the world, of the worldly, of, of the wicked, is momentary. Because the righteousness and the justice of God is coming. Right? Asaph learned to be careful of bitterness and cynicism. He says, when my heart was grieved and my spirit embittered, I was senseless and ignorant. I was a brute beast before you. <laughs> Bitterness and cynicism will blind us. And instead of acting in wisdom, we begin to act foolishly, he says. Right? And sometimes when we get our eyes on the unfairness, on the, on the injustice, either towards ourselves or just, again, watching the news, whatever it is, right? We can be overwhelmed by it and, and, and slip into a place of bitterness and cynicism. And we lose sight of the truth that God is good. And He's taking us somewhere. And no matter how messy and ugly it might get at times, there is hope, right? And he learned that our inheritance as sons and daughters of God is amazing. Verse 23. Listen to this. I am, he's saying to God, I am always with you. You hold me by my right hand, you guide me with your counsel. And afterward, you will take me into glory. There's a whole sermon right there, right? Like, God is 
always with you. And no matter what you're going through, he is holding you by your right hand. And afterwards, when you go through the mess and you go through the soup and you go through the storm, he will take you into his glory. How can you compare? Yeah, how can you compare anything we would walk through, no matter how hard it gets, with that? We have God with us. He's holding our hand and he's going to get us through it. And on the other side of it, he's going to take us into his glory. Wow, right? Whom have I in heaven but you? And earth has nothing I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Right? I may feel in the moment like I'm, I'm not going to make it through this. My heart and my flesh may fail. But God is the strength of my heart and my portion, my inheritance forever. And then the bottom line, he ends it off by saying this. Those who are far from you will perish. You destroy all who are unfaithful to you. But as for me, it is good to be near God. Those who are far from you will perish. But as for me, it is good to be near God. I have made the sovereign Lord my refuge, and I will tell of all your deeds. Right? Asaph has worked through all of this. He's worked through his crisis of faith and he's come back to a place of saying, God, those who are far from you, their end is that they will perish. I want to be found as, as one who is near you. And that's our question today. Our hope, our strength, our life are found in being near Him, right? Being near. I'm going to ask uh, Natalie to come on up and the servers to get ready to serve communion. One of the ways that we draw near to God is is remembering remembering the cross celebrating the cross celebrating what he has done for us if you're here with us this morning for the first time i want to i want to if you know jesus as your savior you trust him as your lord um, then you are welcome to join us at the table for communion. Um, and uh, just a little instruction that, uh, that as, the, as the plate comes around, there are two cups, one inside the other. So you'll pick up both cups. The bottom cup has a little wafer in it, and the top cup has juice. You're going to want to separate those cups. And, uh, and take them separately. Hold on to it until everybody has it in their hands and we'll, we'll walk through it together. All right? So team, come on up. And let's, as we, as we wait for the opportunity, the moment to share communion together, let's, uh, let's turn our hearts toward the Lord. recognize this isn't just about some empty religious ritual but this is a moment of connecting with our Savior 
finding once again in his death, burial, and resurrection in the shedding of his blood the only hope the only true source of strength and peace and life that is available to us. So let's worship as we, uh, as we receive the emblems. Folks, we uh, looks like we've run out of uh, emblems. So if you got missed, I'm sorry for that. But uh, um, appreciate your your uh, your grace and mercy <laughs> this morning.
Thank you, Lord. Colossians 1, verse 19. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, in Christ. And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. If you continue in your faith, established and firm, and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel. We come together today, every one of us as people in need of God's mercy, that we don't receive what we deserve, and in need of His grace that we receive from Him so many things that we do not deserve. To be called children of God. To know His presence daily. Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he said, this is my body broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. So Jesus, we, we recognize that your body hung on that cross, That as you hung on that cross, my sin, my brokenness was put on you. That you would carry my sin to death. I thank you for that today. Thank you that you were broken for us. We take this emblem of your broken body. In celebration, Jesus, of your faithful love. And with thanks, we take it. Let's take the emblem of his broken body. The scripture says, after supper, Jesus took the cup. When he had given thanks, he gave it to them saying, this is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. And so today, Jesus, we recognize that your blood was spilt, your blood was shed on that cross. We thank you for your love. We thank you for your goodness. Thank you for the power of your blood shed to wash away my sin to make me clean and make me new and to reconcile me to the Father. Thank you for all that is ours because we are blood brothers and sisters of you. As we receive this emblem of your shed blood, we thank you, Jesus, for your love and sacrifice. Let's take the emblem of his shed blood. Let's stand this morning. Thank you, God.
Father, I thank you that your kingdom is a kingdom of righteousness. I thank you that you are working out righteousness in our world and that you have called us to be part of that process, to stand up for those who need a champion. But I thank you as well that righteousness is coming. That everything that is is wrong in the world is going to be made right. Thank you that we can trust you even in the midst of the inequities and the brokenness that we see in the world around us. May we not be blinded by bitterness or cynicism as we look at the world around us, but may we keep our eyes on our good and faithful and loving God. May we keep our eyes on the cross because that is where you showed us that you have a plan, that you are at work, that you are our Savior, our Redeemer, and there is hope. So Jesus, we receive your hope today. And we give you thanks. Amen. 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 If you would like prayer this morning, we invite you to come forward and, uh, and receive prayer. Do you have some need in your life that, that you would like Jesus to, to heal, to touch? Uh, if you need to go, God bless you. And uh, have a fantastic week. And don't forget to check in if you can help us with uh, Crazy Paint Day next week to sign the list. Thanks.